Welcome to the Life Self Mastery Podcast, where we bring in entrepreneurs who have created online businesses and improved their lifestyles. Here's your host, Rohit Malhotra. Hi everyone, this is Rohit from Life Self Mastery. I'm really excited to have Amit Kirk, who's the founder of Tau Ventures, a $20 million fund. Amit was Earlier, a senior associate at Northwest Venture Partners and principal at Samsung Next Ventures. Amit was earlier product manager at Google and was also co-founder of uh, Health IQ, a health startup valued at $450 million. Amit has done his master's and master's from Stanford of, uh, from computer science and has done his MBA from Harvard. Uh, welcome to the show, Amit. Thank you, Rohit. Thank you very much to uh, everybody watching this. Uh, really honored to be here. Awesome. You know, uh, you uh, you know before the call, I mentioned you, you've got great credentials. You've uh, you've been an operator, uh, investor. You've worked in a VC firm, and uh, you've also run your own startup. Uh, so, you know, what made you start your own AI-focused uh, VC fund? Why was the focus on uh, you know artificial intelligence? Uh, well, Rohit, uh, there's uh, many answers to that question. Um, and by the way, it's a 17 million. That's what we officially launched the fund with. Uh, may My may become bigger, will become bigger over time, uh, but right now it's 17. So there's three things here. First one is we see artificial intelligence uh, going from a vertical to a horizontal. That's a very big change that's happening as we speak. It's similar in magnitude perhaps to the internet 25 years ago, or maybe even cloud or mobile 15 years ago. Um, we don't talk about building a dot-com or building a mobile company anymore. And AI is going to go through the same process. You're not going to talk about, I have an AI company. Right now it is, uh, but AI is going to be embedded in every single facet of uh, whatever companies you build. And we have been, my partner and I, uh, focused on many investments throughout our career. And we've seen the progression that AI is becoming more and more mature. So that you don't need necessarily today a PhD in machine learning to apply AI to solve big problems. So that's the first part of the answer. Uh, the second part of the answer is because we personally and professionally felt ready to start our own VC fund uh, right. in terms of track record and exits, experience. You know, if, if we are going to help entrepreneurs, then I think it's important that we ourselves have enough to offer. Uh, in terms of knowledge, in terms of help, in terms of advice. Um, and then the third part of, of your question is, uh, we want to be the type of investors that would have invested in us uh, when we were building our own companies. Uh, so the goal of Tau Ventures is really, let's be AI first, we do seed first. So it's the first, typically the first institutional check into a company and really, really help of our entrepreneurs. And not just every VC says that, but really, really, we go off the bat for, for them uh, and help them get more customers, help them get more investors uh, with a goal towards helping them raise the next round and future rounds. Um, so I, as, as of the recording that we're doing right now, we have 14 investments. Uh, it's all on our website and it's in three verticals, digital health, enterprise, and automation which are the three verticals we focus on with applied AI as the uniting factor. Got it, got it. And, um, uh, you know, before, before I talk about the other verticals, you know, uh, you've you also been part of Health IQ. Uh, you know, I wanted to understand, you know, what, what are the sort of learnings you've gotten in, in the health sector? Because, uh, because, you know, 
we've seen large enough exits uh, when it comes to, to fintech uh, companies and e-commerce e and marketplaces, but, uh, but education and, and health uh, sectors, we've not uh, seen, uh, you know, a, a great enough exits, but, or do you, do you think, you know, we'll, we'll get to see uh, some, uh, some great innovative companies coming out of, out of these two sectors? Uh, wow, there's a lot to unpack there. Uh, so Health IQ, I'm a co-founder, and um, it's always a team. Uh, a lot of credit here. Most of the credit should go to my co-founders and the rest of the team. Um, but my lessons in being part of Health, Health IQ and other ventures that I've been part of is um, health is broken. If you look at what this pandemic has made abundantly clear, um, we live, uh, whether in India or in the UK or in the US or any part of the world, it's, it's a question of degree uh, of, of how much broken healthcare is. Um, we, we do have sick care in this world. Uh, we're very good at taking care of somebody who gets sick, but we don't have health as our North Star. We don't have preventive, proactive healthcare. We don't have behaviors and a society and healthcare systems that are gained towards, let us make you healthier, let's keep you healthy. What we have is, let's take care of you when you get ill. So I, Health IQ was a way to shift that paradigm. Uh, at Health IQ, we helped you make better decisions around diet and fitness. And I did it on myself. I, uh, I'm speaking from personal experience. I lost 20 kilos, 35 pounds oh. in three months. And I had broken my knee three times and I overcame all of that to do Ironman and marathons. Um, so if I was able to change my life around, which was uh, in many ways inspired by building the company and vice versa, then I, I figured along with my co-founders, we could help other people take better decisions. Um, and, and if you take better decisions, in this particular case, uh, you could get life insurance more affordably. Um, but I think the message here is that why go through the heart attack? Why go through diabetes? Why go through all of these problems? If you do the right thing right now, today, you can avoid those issues or perhaps minimize the possibility of, of those challenges later in life. Um, I think healthcare overall needs to make that shift. And we at Tau Ventures invest about half of our portfolio in health. Uh, we've been doing that before the pandemic. And in many ways, we feel vindicated, uh, unfortunately vindicated, because we, did, we have invested in a computer vision company to detect colon cancer early. We've invested in a machine learning company that analyzes genetic sequences to identify biomarkers to develop antibodies against COVID and cancer. We have invested in a company that um, analyzes the sequences of pathogens using high throughput computing to understand whether there's been a contamination at a hospital patients, right? These are all existing investments that we did before the pandemic. And uh, now it's become very apparent that this is the type of innovation we need to make in the world. Um, so when you're talking about what needs to happen in health tech, what's going to happen in the future, uh, this is not anything just I'm saying. I think if you talk to many other investors, you talk to public markets, you talk to entrepreneurs, they'll all agree that um, this is, the moment for healthcare. This is a very disruptive in inflection point where we are going to create a lot of new companies and a lot of the barriers that have existed historically are going to fall. Um, that's what this pandemic has done in many ways is that it has made changes that were happening 
possible at an even faster speed. And some changes that weren't even possible are not going to happen. Telehealth being an example, the adoption of telehealth has just skyrocketed worldwide. Uh, and that was about time. Got it. And uh, you know, you, all you mentioned that the focus would be in, 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 into three verticals, which is automation, digital health, and enterprise. But, uh, but are, are you also uh, you know, sector agnostic and uh, geography agnostic? No, we invest right now in U.S. and Canada, and that is a function of, of our resources. Uh, we are a fund that's about a year old, and uh, my partner and I are both based in the U.S. Right. Uh, in my case, my whole adult life, in his case, his whole life. Um, and we know the ecosystems in these two countries really well. That's when we can really help our portfolio companies. Uh, we are very friendly towards companies that have a presence outside of US and Canada. If you have your R&D team in India or your go-to-market in Thailand, or if you have uh, your business development person in Singapore or in Brazil, that's all fine. These are, by the way, for the most part, real examples from our portfolio. Um, but we need the CEO to be based in the US and Canada and the market to be US and Canada. Now, your second question is around the stage. We do seed, um, given our check size, of around 250 to 500, we can increase the check size if need be. But at the moment, that's what we're looking at. And these are numbers in US dollars. Um, we feel that we can do our best job at the seed stage. The first institutional check, um, you know, have uh, enough of, of an ownership in the round and especially have uh, enough things that the company needs to figure out where we can really come in. Where we, we don't see ourselves as so much just capitalists, we see ourselves as venture capitalists, right? The venture part of venture capital is really important. Um, I would argue more important than capital. You can get capital in many ways, but building a venture, being a true partner, you know, getting your hands dirty, as we say here in the US, that's key for us. Um, so we focus on seed. You know, we are open to occasionally looking a little bit earlier, which is known as pre-seed, or looking a little bit later at the Series A. If the terms, the, the deal, the valuation, if the progression of the company makes sense. We haven't done uh, Series A yet, but opportunistically, maybe we are open to it. But seed is the focus, and that's what we have done so far. And do you believe, you know, the early stages uh, is the most inefficient segment of the value uh, of the, you know, venture landscape because, uh, uh, I mean, there, there are a lot of funds which have opened up in the last uh, couple of years. Uh, so I wanted to understand, you know, how, uh, you know, what, uh, you know, when it comes to seed stage and pre-seed stage, do you, do you look, do you have any metrics which you look at uh, from founders who beat uh, revenue numbers or, uh, uh, I know, cap relativity ratio are, are too, too soon to look at uh, those numbers in, at, at, a, at such an early stage. But, uh, but just wanted to understand what metrics does a Tau Ventures look at? Yeah, uh, you actually have two questions there, Rohit. One is uh, about so many funds and the other one is about metrics. Let me address the first one briefly. Um, I think it's great that we have more funds. Honestly, um, we welcome other funds and I think entrepreneurs having more options is a good thing. Competition means that uh, we as VCs will work harder. Um, and, and we believe that uh, we are among the best. We work really hard. Uh, we see our venture fund as a startup in of itself. Um, and 
we uh, spend a lot of time with our entrepreneurs. I think that's uh, something that's very differentiated about us. We're not looking to do uh, what is known here in the U.S. as pray and spray. I'm sorry, spray and pray, uh, which is making lots and lots of investments. Uh, we are looking to do, um, through the fund, 20 investments. Uh, we have, if you look at our current portfolio, we have done six investments since the fund started and eight investments that we had done before the fund got started that were put into the fund. So we have a lot of room to go still. And um, 20 investments between two people, that's 10 each. That is a, a, a good number for you to manage and to devote a lot of time. Uh, we are also um, pretty much at the forefront of health AI. Uh, there's very few funds that are doing health AI at the seed stage. Uh, we specialize in it. Uh, we have heard from lots of entrepreneurs that uh, they see us as very differentiated in that. Uh, there are more funds that do enterprise AI. And there's a handful of funds also that do automation and AI. Um, but I think when it comes to health, which is half of us, we're pretty much among the very, very few ones. And in the other two, we're still spending a lot of time with our entrepreneurs, helping them with the commercial development and with the investor development. Now to your second question, uh, in terms of metrics, at the seed stage, it's almost a given. There's very few metrics. Uh, we like to invest in mature seeds. So we are looking for, maybe there's a prototype, maybe there's a pilot. In some cases, there may be some revenues. Enterprise companies especially tend to get some revenues earlier than other verticals. And if they are, we'll try to understand the typical things. What's the ARR? What's the TCV? What's the ACV? These are just fancy terms for how much recurring revenue you're making. What's the total contract value? What's the annual contract value? Uh, we'll try to understand churn, which is um, how, uh, how many clients sign up, how many leave. We try to understand the sales cycle. For large contracts, sales cycles can be as long as nine to 18 months. So obviously we try to understand all these metrics. If the company has more consumer driven metrics, then we look for engagement. So monthly recurring, uh, MAU, I'm sorry, monthly active unit users, DAUs, daily active users, uh, time spent on the app or the website, virality, which is known as a K factor. So how many people do you refer into it? So look, all of these metrics, they're great but they are not the core focus of an analysis at the seed stage, because really what you're trying to understand is, is this the team with the right skill sets that would work well with us in the good market space with a promising technology, with maybe some product proof points, working in a competitive landscape where they are differentiated, right? Like we are understanding all these factors, which tend to be a little bit more qualitative rather than quantitative. And I say that team is always the most important metric. Um, I've invested in late stage also in previous uh, points in my career, and team is always the number one thing you look at. It's just that the weight you give to the team at a C stage is even higher. Uh, we would rather invest in an A team with a B idea than a B team with an A idea, because an A team will figure it out, will pivot, will change, and will execute. A B team will always be limited by its own ability. So we are open to companies, very much open to companies that will, you know, figure things out as they go, as long as they have what it takes within the team. Right. And uh, uh, Amit, you, you talked about teams and I totally agree. Uh, teams, uh, you know, uh, even if they are a team, they can always pivot and make a, make a great product. But uh, how do you assess uh, the signs that a founder can be successful? Because, what, you know, do you, do you look at certain sort of signals like they've done great in the academies, they 
come out of great P schools or universities, uh, but but there are also uh, situations like uh, like Ritesh Agarwal from OU Rooms, uh, who 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 did was a dropout, but is a three fellow, but is built a built an incredible company. But I just wanted to understand the thesis behind uh, uh, behind you know uh, how how do VCs look at founders who can be successful? So obviously we look at experience. That's what you're alluding to. But sure. uh, there's another factor called aptitude. Sure. And uh, aptitude is not captured necessarily by what you have done. Aptitude, you can get hints of your aptitude by the schools you went and the companies you worked at. But it's more the how you work, how you learn, how you unlearn, how you hire, how do you take feedback. Um, and it's a very fine line between having conviction in what you're doing, but also the humility to be able to realize that you made a mistake and being able to change it, right? So we try to understand both experience and aptitude. Um, obviously, if you went to good schools and worked at good companies, that's usually a plus, um, but that's not enough. Um, and the, con the converse is true too, the contrapositive. Just because you didn't go necessarily to the best schools or work to the best companies doesn't mean that you won't be a good entrepreneur. There's plenty, plenty of examples that disprove that theorem. Uh, it is not a theorem, in fact. So if VC could be done as an algorithm, there would be no need for me to be doing this. Um, VC is about um, having good hustle and good judgment. And when it comes to good judgment, it's, it's really being able to balance all of this. Uh, when we see somebody, for instance, who has a stellar background, um, we try to understand what is the risk propensity that that person has taken. Um, sometimes, oftentimes, if you've worked at the best schools and the best companies, you may not have the, the, the willingness to fail, to take the biggest leaps of faith, right? Because you have only been successful in your life. Um, sometimes actually having failed a few times in your life is, is actually the biggest lesson for you to build a startup. Um, and vice versa, if uh, you uh, didn't come from maybe the most privileged backgrounds, but you understand what it takes to actually succeed, you will perhaps work harder at building the connections. You will work harder to hire people who are um, going to give you, uh, you know, all the skill set that you need within the company. Then great. Uh, we, we have invested in, in across the board. Uh, and for us, what's most important is people who really understand the problem they're solving. Look, if you're solving a problem in medicine, you don't need to be a doctor. But having come from the healthcare side gives you a lot of understanding. Yeah. And whether you're a nurse, physician, assistant, or practitioner of healthcare, that is a plus. Let's, let's put it honestly and bluntly. We, prefer, we would prefer investing in somebody with healthcare experience rather than somebody who is a technologist coming from the outside into healthcare. But now if you take something in enterprise, it's the other way. If we are investing in enterprise, we want to see somebody who knows enterprise, who has sold especially into enterprise, right? Like the ability to be able to sell your products in enterprise is absolutely critical. Uh, you, could be, you could be the finest mind on the face of the planet, but if you don't know how to do sales, you'll fail miserably in enterprise. Um, so you have to gauge based on what you're building, why you're building, who are you building it for? Today I have an interesting stat for you. Did you note that the founder of Beautiful Lives 
increase the social media presence by 10x, they managed to publish consistently and effortlessly using a robust social media management tool called Social Pilot. Social Pilot is a cost-effective social media tool that helps businesses scale their social media marketing efforts. Use lifestylemastery.com slash social pilot to get a 14-day free trial. Got it. And, uh, you know, has the COVID period impacted your investment uh, mindset? Uh, you know, what is the general, uh, you know, investment scenario in, in U.S. Uh, and Canada? Um, so, yes and no. Uh, COVID has obviously impacted the world. Um, there's no denying it. On a very practical level, um, I don't have... Uh, to drive for coffee meetings anymore. <laughs> I do everything through Zoom. It's uh, many, many Zoom calls and many, many uh, virtual meetings. Um, I think that's true of almost everyone, uh, at least in, in, in the ecosystem that we live in, um, you know, eco startup ecosystem. Um, but that aside, that's very tactical. Um, we're still investing in the same themes. We're not change over lens on whether this is a good investment or a bad investment. What we have changed is, uh, and I've written about this uh, in my blog. It's linked off LinkedIn. Um, what we have changed is how we look at companies. So we like to have at least another investor in a round with us. Uh, at the seed stage, it's much more collaborative rather than competitive. And this is true before also. VC funds like to have another VC fund at the seed stage, at least another one, so that an entrepreneur has access to two good firms and two good networks and two good sets of groups of people to brainstorm who will challenge him or her. Um, so when we look for a co-investor, we like to have a co-investor who ideally is bigger than us. Um, if it is somebody who has deeper pockets, then they can help the company uh, at a time of distress. They can perhaps have more cash available. Uh, that is one, once again, not a requirement, but it is cer certainly something that we look at as, as, a, as a plus. Um, and we have done this multiple times. We have done an investment where we were the first ones to commit to making an investment and we brought another VC in. And sometimes those VCs were much bigger than us. Uh, and the other way has also happened. Another VC fund did an investment and brought us in into the, into the round. Um, that is based on a lot of trust, respect, and longstanding relationships. Um, the second thing that we have adapted of our uh, investment focus with COVID is that we look for companies that are a little bit more cash sensitive. So uh, if you burn, you keep it a little bit on the lower side. Uh, if you're round, the one you're raising at the seed stage can last ideally for 18 months, maybe 24 months. That's a plus. So I'm not saying we wouldn't invest in a company that's maybe raising around that will last them for 12 months, but it will be a higher bar for us to make that investment. Um, the biggest takeaway though I have for you is that we are a new fund, we're about a year old. We have cash in reserve, plenty of it, about 90% of the fund at this point is still to be allocated. So we are very active in the ecosystem. We are, um, unlike some funds that have taken a step back, we have taken a step forward. We are, our deal flow has doubled and we are very much open for business. In fact, we have a good problem in our hands, which is we get more incoming inbound leads than we can possibly handle. Um, and, and I'm you know, grateful for that. Um, but uh, that is indicative of the fact that entrepreneurs are now reaching out even more to us. 
Correct. And, uh, you know, I wanted to understand uh, what do founders really care about today uh, in the investor space uh, with, with so much of capital outside? Uh, you know, you know, ideally, what sort of, uh, is, it, is it just capital or expertise that a founder uh, is looking for when they are looking for a VC uh, who want to come on board for them? Well, my argument is that, look, if you're uh, interested in just capital, don't go to VC. There's plenty of ways of raising the money that are much easier. Uh, if you're um, a very scientifically minded company, you can get a grant. Um, lots of governments in the world have grants. Uh, and sometimes they're equity-free grants, oftentimes. Um, if you are interested in a loan, go to a bank uh, or hit up your family and friends or get it from a strategic or a corporate. VC is really optimized for companies that are fast-growing, where a VC can really impact the outcome by helping uh, the entrepreneur. Uh, if, if you're not interested in having somebody who will be on the cap table and active with you, at least at the seed stage, um, then the argument for raising a VC in of itself is actually much weaker. So uh, what entrepreneurs often look for, and at least in my experience, is expertise, exactly what you said. Who can you introduce me to? other customers? How will it help me? How will it help me get them? How will it help close the deal? Who are the other investors you can bring on board? What is, what is the governance you will provide? If you're actually serving on the board, you know, what are the, uh, the other things you can do for me, perhaps in terms of hiring people, perhaps in terms of a marketing plan? Will you be there for me when I'm trying to make an important decision? I pick up the phone and call you and uh, it's 11 o'clock in the night and you will help me actually brainstorm and make an important decision. I think Looking at a VC as a source of just capital is, is, is a, an analogy that perhaps works for late stage, perhaps works for some types of companies, but is really not the complete definition of what a venture capitalist should be, is and should be. Uh, I think the best analogy is um, if you're playing a sport and there are a bunch of players on the field, a, a venture capitalist should act like a coach. Their job is to make the players as successful as possible. And if you succeed, the players should get as much of the credit as possible. Um, and if you fail, the coach should get some of the blame because they didn't do their job as well as they could. Right. And, uh, you know, start startups uh, can't be... Uh can't be a one-person job, but, uh, you know, a lot of founders do need leadership uh, team to help them uh, solve problems and to scale up. Uh, what advice would you give to founders who looking to acquire such leaders in their team and um, how should founders assess such great leaders? Right. Um, so you're talking about a founder or multiple founders building teams around them. Um, and uh, so at the seed stage, most of the time we see half-built leadership teams, which is exactly what we expect. Uh, maybe they've hired a couple of C-levels, maybe they have a VP or so, but it's not a fully built leadership team. And that typically gets in place increasingly with the Series A up to the Series B. Um, what uh, we try to understand from the founders, what do they think um, should be done? If, uh, if I'm talking to, let's say, a health tech-focused founder, um, oftentimes they don't have a CRO or a CCO, which is a chief revenue officer, chief commercial officer. And that's once again, to be expected, that should be often is in the series A, but we want to make sure that the founder themselves, um, acknowledge that, um, because if we prompt them 
that is maybe not as indicative of what their belief is. I mean, we can help with course correction, but if the founders are the captains of their ship, uh, we're the first mates, right? Um, so uh, we try to understand what they think and, and then we brainstorm with them, give them feedback. Uh, I think the key for a leadership team is just like any high-performing team is that they will work well together. Uh, most startups, in my experience, fail not because the market is too small, not because the competition is too high, but it's because the teams don't work well together. They fight or they underperform. Uh, founders who bring in an external CEO, that is a classic, classic uh, high tension scenario where there can be a big conflict between an externally brought CEO and the founder or founders. Um, so we're, what we look for in a leadership team is, yes, we understand that these are holes in your team, how will you fill them? And will you work well together? I think that's the second part is, is oftentimes even more important than the first part. Somebody could have a stellar resume and not work well with you. Um, and somebody could have maybe a less stellar resume and work fantastically for you. And that may actually be a better equation than the first one. Got it. And, and how do you assess and approach market sizing? Do you, do you think uh, it's, it's uh, uh, you know, uh, it's important uh, to look at a market or would you put team above market uh, when you look at I always I always put team above everything, um, but the relative importance changes. And you're right that at the seed stage, market is borderline as crucial as team because uh, if you have a great team building in a saturated market, uh, sometimes called red ocean, it's going to be really hard, really, really hard. Um, so what we do is the classic approach of both tops, bottom and bottoms up, uh, tops down. So we will look at big trends and we'll try to extrapolate from it. Um, but what we really, really like doing ourselves in our diligence and also understand how the entrepreneur did it themselves is bottoms up. So I have this willingness to pay from X number of customers with this percent of churn or leakage. Therefore, I predict that this is how much I could sell in year one, year two, year three for a total market size of this with certain percentages that I can capture. Like we try to understand bottoms up because that is more indicative of the assumptions, inherent assumptions that an entrepreneur is using in their uh, business model. Uh, we, we're not looking for deep spreadsheets predicting 10 years down the road. I mean, any, anything at the C stage is usually meaningless after a couple of years in terms of a projection, usually. Um, but what we're looking for is how they're thinking about it. What are the assumptions they're using? Um, so we do like founders that have uh, a financial plan. Uh, all, almost always we, we see founders with a financial plan. Um, we, we're more concerned about how they decided than what exactly they decided. Got it. And um, Amit, uh, uh, Eric Tornberg, who's, who's a partner at Village Google, you know, once talked about that, you know, people who are uh, contemplating between joining and, and starting a company or becoming VC, uh, uh, you know, somebody who joins a company uh, wants more of emotional and financial stability and somebody wants to be VC, wants more intellectual than hands-on and starting company is about controlling your destiny. And uh, this is a question I want to put across to you because you've been part of, uh, you know, Google and you started your own company uh, and now you're starting your own VC. Uh, how, what advice would you give to people, especially in the startup ecosystem uh, where, uh, you know, operators are trying to, uh, you know, start their own companies or, 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 get into VCs, uh, 
how how should they judge that you know that they uh, should either be part of the investing world because it does take ten years to to figure out you can be great investor or not, uh, or they should remain as operators or they should start their own companies. Any advice for uh, for people? Yeah, yeah, no, Rohit, thank you. I appreciate the shout out here. And uh, to your point, I'm trying to bring all of that together in Tau Ventures because. Um, running your own VC fund is in itself a startup. I, I have that dichotomy very much within me of wanting to get my hands dirty, but also being excited about the intellectual part of, of learning. Uh, and, and I have combined that by doing seed stage in my own VC fund. So I get both, uh, personally at least. Um, but uh, to your question, uh, I, I tend to look at this as a framework where if you're doing early stage startups, um, then you're really maximizing equity. It's risk reward, right? You have high risk and high reward. If you're doing on the other end of the spectrum, a very late stage startup or corporates, you're doing a job, right? You are maximizing stability to use your, your own word. Um, you have much less equity. Uh, and if you're somewhere in between, then you're maximizing perhaps experience, which is I'm not going to get a high level of stability or a high level of equity, but I'm going to get a great experience, right? If I'm part of a series B or C company, I can hopefully ride out the next four years till this company has an exit um, and I will learn a lot in the process. Um, I think that's a very personal question for where somebody wants to be in that spectrum at any stage of their life. Um, the average entrepreneur tends to be somebody in their late 30s, early 40s with a mortgage uh, and, and children. Um, that is a fallacy that uh, the media has published that the average entrepreneur has to be a college dropout um, or that they have to be in their 20s and no other commitments like family or, or financial constraints. Uh, that is a fallacy because yes, there are those entrepreneurs and yes, those entrepreneurs, some of them have been disproportionately successful, but that is not necessarily the majority. Or in fact, for that matter, even the most successful ones on average are not in that category. Um, I think when you, anyone is trying to decide whether to start, join, or, 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 or you know, serve, be an employee, right? Or, or, or take charge in a corporate, uh, the, the equation should be, let me see what my financials are, my personal financial situation. Let me see how much energy I have, right? You could, you could have done five startups and looking for something a little bit more stable where um, it's going to be less of an emotional roller coaster versus somebody who has done maybe 10 years of a corporate and is actually looking for an emotional roller coaster. So you, your, your personal emotional state, your energy level, that's the second factor. Uh, the third one is to be pragmatic about it. Um, we do live in a world that's increasingly flat, but the world is not flat. The world is lumpy. If you are building a company um, in certain parts of the world, it's going to be easier than in other parts of the world. And if, even though now we have, thanks to Zoom and other platforms like that, access to people everywhere around the world, um, Starting something is still a local exercise. You have to hire people that you know, that, 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 that have worked with you perhaps. So uh, I think it's being cognizant. Um, if, uh, if you don't have a strong startup ecosystem around you, how can you mitigate that? Sometimes you can by raising from outside of your own startup ecosystem, like perhaps you have access to London or Silicon Valley or Bangalore, um, Beijing. 
Um, or or you, sometimes people take the choice of moving. I'm not advocating that. That's a big change. But sometimes that is the right choice. So um, I think being able to analyze those three factors is key. Once again, financial, emotional, your energy levels, and practical, right? Those, those are the three. Uh, and if you happen to have a family uh, or other commitments to other people, all of us do, right? But the level of degree that you have, I'm including that in the emotional. Got it. You know, that's, that's great advice. I think uh, for me and as well as for other listeners, this can, this can be a great framework to, 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 to decide, you know, what they want to do. And uh, I mean, I wanted to understand why, why did you choose the name Tao Ventures? Uh, Tao is a homage to uh, a lot of things. Uh, it's a constant in mathematics and physics and biology. Um, tau proteins are involved in Alzheimer's uh, or have been thought to be involved in Alzheimer's. It was part of my undergraduate research. Uh, but the closest, uh, the real inspiration is tau equals two times pi. It's a mathematical definition. Uh, it's a better representation in, in many ways of a circle. Um, and we actually did our first annual day on 628. Uh, tau equals two pi equals two times 3.14, which is 6.28. And in the US, we write month and then date. So June 28th is 6.28. So it's, uh, it's a homage to the themes we look for, mathematics, physics, biology. Uh, it is also a small name, easy to remember, uh, tauventures.com. Um, and uh, I don't know when this video will be released, but uh, this year, exceptionally, we are holding our Tau Day, our annual day, uh, a little bit later uh, because of the pandemic. We, we moved the date and we decided to actually see if we could hold it in person. We decided eventually for a virtual event being held tomorrow, October 14th, 5.30 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Uh, and this is open to anyone who is interested. Um, and uh, there is a webinar registration. If anybody is interested, uh, maybe you can post the link for it. Um, and we are expecting, who knows, maybe 200 people watching a bunch of our entrepreneurs present for about an hour. Absolutely, we'll, we'll put that in the show notes. Uh, 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 need to see if we can publish it uh, by, by that time or not. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I quickly want to do the top three. What's your favorite business book? A business book? Yeah. Oh boy. Um, you asked me a really hard question. Uh, asking for one is, is harder than asking for 10. Um, <laughs> Because uh, there's so many. Um, yeah. I'm going to take a cop out on this answer. I think the best business book is life, honestly. You, you learn as you go. Uh, you look at lots and lots of case studies of other entrepreneurs and uh, other businesses and books you read and cases you follow and what other people teach you. I mean, we are in a business here where things can change dramatically from day in and day out. And... Um, there may be principles that are um, timeless and there may be principles that have held stood, uh, held fast for many years, but there's other things that change on a day-to-day -day basis. What is seed today is very different than what seed was in terms of amount 10 years ago. What, uh, what is the venture ecosystem today is very different than what the venture ecosystem was even maybe two days ago. So uh, for me to say a book, it will get outdated. The principles in those books uh, will be true perhaps, but the actual instantiations of those principles may actually fall out of date. Uh, so I, uh, you know, I know this is a bit of a cop-out, but I think the best book for business is life. 
Correct. And you know, if you could go back in time when you started Tau Ventures, what is the one thing you would have focused on or done anything differently? Um, differently of starting Tau Ventures? Um, well, in hindsight, uh, we uh, didn't know about the pandemic. So <laughs> I don't think uh, we had expected it, uh, predicted it. Uh, we had always thought that there would be a major health event in the world. Uh, we just didn't expect it would happen in 2020. So um, we still raised more money than we were expecting. We we're very happy where we ended, um, but it did change the way we were approaching people. It did uh, affect obviously the whole world in so many ways. Uh, um, you know, it's unfortunate, really unfortunate in so many ways that people have been affected. Um, so in hindsight, what I would have done differently is perhaps planned earlier for a major, major event like that. Correct. I think uh, it caught everybody unaware. Um, do you have any favorite online tools, for example, Gmail, uh, Zoom, Calendly? All of the above. We use uh, Gmail. We use Google Apps, to be honest. We have set up, uh, perhaps because of my Google heritage, uh, we're very familiar and happy about many of the products Google offers. So we have set up the stack that way. Uh, my partner comes out of Microsoft, so uh, I, I consistently remind him <laughs> of, of why to use Google, and he consistently reminds me of how, why to use Microsoft products. Um, but then we also use Zoom. Um, we actually were using uh, Google Hangouts, Google um, Video for, for a while, but we decided to do Zoom more um, for certain features that Zoom provides that we felt more comfortable with um, holding webinars and being able to record. Uh, but in general, we have kept our tech infrastructure very light, um, partly because uh, we want to be flexible and part of it because we want to keep costs low. Um, we have used Gusto for a lot of uh, HR and benefits and things like that. So that's internal to us. Um, we, uh, in terms of filing taxes and providing reports, um, we love um, as much as possible to do things on spreadsheets as opposed to paying for a lot of other products. But we know there's good products out there, but we love DocuSign. Um, in terms of filling signatures. Uh, I, I try to avoid using my printer as much as possible. I think it's uh, saving paper and saving the world and also saving me headache. Um, so yeah, th those would be the four biggest tools that we use. Right, the Google infrastructure, out. Zoom, Gusto, and DocuSign. Right, and obviously uh, we're hosting our website on uh, WordPress right now. Okay, we'll, we'll put that in the show notes. Uh, I mean, what is the oh, best way people- Squarespace too. Uh, sorry, go ahead. Uh, uh, what, what is the best way people can reach out to you and, and know more about Tau Ventures and how can founders reach out to Tau Ventures? Uh, so, well, first we have a newsletter that we send out quarterly with uh, updates on the fund. The sign up is on our website, tauventures.com. Um, if a founder has a compelling business that uh, he or she wants to reach out to us, uh, warm intros always help. Uh, we get so many uh, decks and intros, uh, being able to get some validation that so-and-so has invested or so-and-so is vouching for you is always a plus, not just for us, but for any VC. Um, so being able to get a warm intro into us is, is, is a big. Uh, if you don't have the option of getting a warm intro, but really have high conviction, then you know send us a note through LinkedIn. We will start, we look through everything everybody sends. Um, I assure you of that. We may not be able to respond to everything, but we do actually look through everything. 
Thank you so much.